Hello, good morning. I really hope this finds you really, really well. And uh, I want to send you love from me and Anna and the children to every single one of you watching. And I, I do look forward to the time when we can see each other in the flesh again, hopefully not too far away now. Well, this morning we have reached the last in our series on the book of Philippians from the New Testament in the Bible. Uh, we've been going on this right the way through from the beginning of the spring term and I hope that you have enjoyed this series. I have enjoyed it immensely uh, and it has been just such a wonderful, wonderful book of the Bible to go through. So much amazing richness in there about who God is and what he has done through Jesus Christ. And also, of course, we've learned so much from the example of the Apostle Paul who wrote the letter and his relationship with this church, the church in Philippi. And for us uh, as Church Central West, it's been a, a new thing as well. It's been a departure uh, from what we've known previously because we have had a whole load of new preachers uh, from the church. And I hope that you've enjoyed hearing from different people. For me, this has been an incredibly exciting development for us as a church. And I think that we have unearthed some pretty amazing gifting in the church. Uh, I think there are some wonderful preachers that we have found uh, and and I, I look forward to in the future as well hearing from uh, these guys again on a regular basis. I just think it's wonderful that God has sort of grown up um, this gifting from within the church and I believe it will continue to develop. And I hope that what's happened through the preaching this last few months has served to be really I guess a picture of what I think God is doing in the church more broadly. And last year, as I've said before, God spoke to us about uh, a prophetic word from 1 Corinthians 12, that, that we are a body and that every member of the body has a part to play in the body. And I think this is what we have seen just starting to come through in this. We've seen it in other areas too. And I really hope that this serves to be an encouragement, an inspiration and a provocation to everyone in the church that you have a part to play, that you have gifts unique to you that God has given you and you have a role to play in the building of his kingdom and in the building of his church and in his body. I really want us to be a church where there is permission and inclusion and where everyone has a part to play. We are so blessed uh, when the diversity of gifting comes like this and where we see this happen and so uh, I look forward to more of that in the future. But anyway let's let's get straight into the last few verses of the book of Philippians, which is what I'm going to be helping us go through this morning. It's in the very last chapter, last three verses, and it's basically like a bit of a footnote, really, or a bit of a greeting from Paul to the church. It simply says this, give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings and all the rest of God's people send you greetings too especially those in Caesar's household. And finally, the last sentence of the letter says this, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, it seems strange to us to end a letter with a greeting. Uh, we always start our letters with a greeting, don't we? And depending on who you're writing to, you have to think very carefully about the title. Uh, in an old job, I once had to write an email to an archdeacon of all things and I had to look up how to how to address this person in an email because I didn't know the correct formal title of how to do it. But this is no formal greeting that Paul is doing 
And it's very uh, customary in first century when you write letters to people to, to finish with a greeting like this. And it's very customary for Paul, particularly, to finish most, if not all, of his letters with a similar greeting. So I want to take this opportunity as we're looking at this passage today to remind us of the biblical significance of our greetings, if you like, of our relationships with one another. You know, we're not just good friends, although many of us are really good friends. Uh, we are not just acquaintances who happen to share the same philosophy of life. No way. We are so much more significant than that. We are members together of the body of Christ. just want to remind us that, uh, as Paul said at the beginning of the letter, we are saints, we are holy ones. Those who've been made holy as God is holy. Why is that? Well, it's because we've had all of our sins and all of the, the, the wrong things that we've done, all of the ways in which we were rebellious against God, all the ways in which we were lived our whole lives in opposition to God. All of that, what the Bible calls sin, has been crucified with Jesus on the cross. When he died on the cross, he took our sins upon himself and paid the punishment for them and removed that barrier of, of, of enmity, if you like, that was between us and God the Father. And then as he rose back to life, he then gives us new life. And in a sense, we've died to our sins and we have risen with Christ to newness of life, just as we've been celebrating last week over the Easter weekend. And so we have a new status. We have been made holy as God is holy. And so when we relate to one another as Christians, we relate to each other as those who have shared in this most transformative of experiences. Whatever else we might have in common, this is so much deeper and more significant than any of that. We might have the same interests, you know, we might uh, just have a natural connection and click, we might just naturally be friends, but the thing that really unites us is our, our status and our identity as saints, is the fact that we have had a glimpse of the Lord Jesus Christ and that has ruined us for anything else. The fact that we share that experience, that's what makes us brothers and sisters and just just want to remind us afresh some of this stuff many of us you, you'll know and you'll be familiar with but just just want to give you a fresh glimpse of it again that, that when when the church was born it wasn't just a some sort of new sect or new or new social group that had been established in society this was a new humanity that had come to birth a new humanity had come to birth. A humanity of, of, of reborn saints, holy ones, who then became the body of Jesus Christ on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit who comes and lives within us. God planted something utterly, utterly world-changing in the birth of the church. In a sense, it's like the world is a wilderness and the church is a garden that's planted in the middle of the wilderness. And that garden is a garden that is a, a garden that's full of life and where life springs up and where there's growth and where, and where things seed and where things spread. That is how 
it's meant to be. That is how God has made it to be. The church is something that grows and spreads. And all you've got to do is read the book of Acts and the New Testament epistles such as Philippians and you see how that has happened. And so I want to remind us and, 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 and say with all biblical confidence, as, as crazy as this might sound to some, and maybe as kind of egotistical as this might sound to some, the saints of God are the most significant people in a place. The most significant people in the city is the church, is the body of Christ. Because the church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope for the city, for transformation, for positive change, and for the kingdom of God to break in and to spread, and for that garden to grow and to influence the whole city. That's what God is doing in the earth. That's what God wants to do through the church. Because there's so much more on that. But I hope that just reminds us that this is the context for our relationships with one another. You know, we are brothers and sisters, saints, members together of this body. And so our relationships need to be precious and we need to preserve that unity that Jesus has won for us. Have a look at Romans chapter 16. Okay, Romans chapter 16 is, is a similar kind of uh, postscript, if you like, to this one in Philippians, although it's a lot longer. It's where Paul greets many of the saints in Rome. Now, interestingly, Romans was written three or four years before he ever went to Rome. And yet he mentions something in the region of about 30 people by name who he wants to greet in Romans 16. And these must be people that he knew personally and then who'd gone on to Rome and he knew were in Rome and were part of the church there in Rome. But if you read Romans 16, these aren't just mere acquaintances. He's not just name checking a load of people that, that he knew vaguely. He talks about people who had risked their life for him. He talks about people that had worked so hard for him and for the gospel. He talks about people that were in prison with him. He talks about people that had been like a mother to him. These were people who were, were so dear to him. And so three or four years before he ever went to Rome, he writes this amazing personal letter of, of greeting. And then jumping forward to, to when he wrote Philippians, when he finally was in Rome under house arrest, the context of that, uh, just to remind you, is at the, at the end of Acts, Acts 28, verse 30, it says, that Paul lived in Rome uh, at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. Paul was under house arrest. He was in lockdown, essentially, in Rome, but he was given freedom. People could come and visit him, and so he continued to testify, he continued to teach, he continued to, to, to grow and, and, and build and encourage the church while he was in Rome, and it was during that time that he wrote the book of Philippians as well. Why is this important? Well, just, just another illustration of how our relationships with one another are important and, and what they can be, the potential that they can have. And we've talked before, haven't we, during lockdown, we've sent out videos and messages where we tried to encourage you to, to really connect with one another and to really build and deepen those relationships, even though we can't physically see so much of each other. And I just, as I read that, 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 list in Romans 16 
Now I just thought to myself, wow, if I think about Church Central West over the last year, I can't say that there's people who maybe have risked their life for me, but I can say that we've been through lockdown together. We've been through this, this chronic, unique experience. There's people who've been brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers to me. There's people who have prayed for me. There's people who have, 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 have kept me accountable. There's people who have, have, have particularly, as we've mentioned before, um, in the last few months since our son has been ill, who have, who have poured out the most wonderful generosity and love towards me and my family. And I feel genuinely blessed and privileged to have gone through the last year with you guys as a part of Church Central West. And I hope that you do too, not just with me, but with, with everyone in the church. It's a precious thing. And I, and I, I think that God has grown us and is, is continuing to grow us. And I, I believe and I trust that when, we, when our relationships can be further re-established by physical contact, that they will continue to grow and deepen because of this experience that we've been through together. I just want to say again that I'm so grateful for your faithfulness uh, and the fact that we've, we've stayed together through this time. So greetings are important. <laughs> what else can we say? Well, I wanted to pick up on something that Paul mentions in verse 22 here. And he says, all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. Now, Paul is in Rome. There are many Christians, many people becoming Christians from all different parts of society in Rome. And the church in Rome is made up of them. And he singles out here those that are part of Caesar's household. So this would have been people that were somehow linked to the imperial household, the household of the emperor of Caesar. Uh, the Emperor Nero was the, the emperor at the time that this was written. So this may have included members of the imperial family. It would have inevitably also included a number of slaves and maybe uh, freedmen as well. These were those that were Roman citizens who would have been part of the civil service uh, and been influential people within the kind of corridors of power in Rome. And this is remarkable that that. The church was made up of, of people, including these kinds of people. And if you want to learn a little bit about what the imperial family was like at that time, what the household of Caesar was like, you only need to watch the Horrible Histories movie that's all about the Rotten Romans, because um, that gives you a bit of an insight into the kind of character the Emperor Nero was and his mum and lots of the other people involved at the time. Nero was an emperor who, uh, less than a couple of years after the letter of Philippians was written, a fire broke out in Rome and it, Christians were scapegoated for this fire and a huge persecution broke out. And Nero was notorious for the persecution of Christians and how many, many Christians lost their lives under his reign. And I just want to apply this to us because I think that many of us would be in 
comparable situations, obviously not similar situations, but comparable situations to some of those Christians as part of Caesar's household. So if you have a job that involves being somehow linked to uh, local or national government, maybe in the NHS or in a school, in any kind of institution or, or in a business, you may know something of the experience of being a part of Caesar's household. Okay, and how challenging it can be, essentially, to be a Christian in the world. In the household of Caesar, you may know and remember that the Roman emperor was considered to be a god. And if you were a part of Caesar's household, you would have been expected to confess Caesar is Lord. But here is a community of people who have tasted and seen that God is good and that he has sent a saviour to the world, Jesus Christ, who, as we saw in chapter two, you know, even though he was God, he emptied himself and came to earth and died on the cross. And therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name above every single name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. So Jesus is Lord. And so many of these Christians, to their eternal glory, refuse to confess Caesar is Lord. And many of those, for many of those, that costs them their lives. And just important to remember that some of these people that Paul is talking about from Caesar's household who are sending their greetings within a year, two, three years would be being burnt in the circus in torches or eaten by lions because of the persecution that was broke out against Christians. And I want to encourage you, if you are in Caesar's household, if you are a Christian who's in a, a world kind of context on a regular basis, if, if the workplace that you work in doesn't include just Christians, as my workplace does, okay, if, if, if you are in a challenging situation, I just want to encourage you and remind you, Jesus is Lord and he is Lord over your life and he's Lord over your workplace and he wants to use you as a witness in that place and I want to encourage you that that your guiding principle just as your guiding the guiding principle of these guys were in the first century your guiding principle is loyalty to Christ first before all things doesn't mean that you walk into work every day and you and you preach Jesus to people um, it means that you do your job really well and that you work hard work as, as, as working for the Lord and not for, for man. But there may be times where there are boundaries that you know you shouldn't cross as a Christian. Boundaries almost where you're, you're, you're told to say Caesar is Lord. And you know that those are the, that's the place where you have to stop. That's the place where you have to take a stand. And I can't apply that to your situation because every every situation is different. But but you know what that is, and the Holy Spirit will show you what that is. I just want to encourage you and remind you that you can be loyal to Jesus first. Perhaps the dangers, if you're in Caesar's household, could be that you become ashamed of the gospel or that you uh, want to compromise the gospel because of ambition. Well, we need to be careful about those things. We need to make sure that that our loyalty to Jesus is first. 
and he will use you, he will bless you. Look at what he did in the imperial household. Within a few hundred years of this letter being written, uh, the emperor himself was converting to Christianity and the whole world was, was turned upside down and Christianity was catapulted out to every single part of the, of the known world, including uh, the British Isles. So, just want to encourage you, if you are in that situation, that you can stand firm and that God is really with you. Maybe just, just think even now, are there specific areas that you know you feel your conscience has pricked you because you've been asked to do something that you're not quite sure is right? Well, I just want to remind you and encourage you that it's okay to say no and to have a boundary based on your faith. And if you, want to, if you want to seek more wisdom about any specifics around that, please speak to other Christians in the church. Please speak to you know, your cluster leader or one of the elders. Uh, and we'd love to just encourage and support you because we really want to support believers who are in the workplace, as, as, as many of us are. But finally, let's just look at verse 23. A, a reminder just to wrap up this whole letter that grace... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is really what it begins and ends with. Okay, the letter starts with grace and it ends with grace. The grace of God really is enough for us as it was enough for these uh, Christians in Philippi in the first century with all of the things that they were going through. The grace of God is the remedy for every single human need. The grace of God is the thing that we need the most day in day out and so it's the best possible thing that Paul could have ended his letter with may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit let's remind us that we we need the grace of God we we become Christians by the grace of God the gospel is the gospel of the grace of God and it's the grace of God that's going to see us through to completion when Jesus returns and so it's the grace of God that we need to live by day by day by day Grace, what does it mean? It means undeserved favour. It means uh, the fact that God showed his love to us when we were undeserving. You know, he didn't love us because we were somehow good or noble or because we decided, oh, I know, let's, let's pursue Christianity. That would be a noble pursuit. No, no, no. He came and saved us when we were wretchedly far from him and our backs were turned from him. He graciously turned us around and gave us a glimpse of his incredible glory and that's the thing that has changed us and grace is something that arises spontaneously from within the heart of God it is the very nature of God and that is why we sing God is good God is good all the time because he is gracious in his very nature it's not something that we persuade him to be it's not something that we do by our noble actions on the contrary he is the God of grace and that overflows to us and it's overflowed through history in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and that's why we make such a big deal of him and that's why we say he is Lord because it's the grace of God that has overflowed through him remember in John 1 it says that the law came through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ and so Jesus Christ is the one that gives us the grace of God and that's why we must cling to him and our spirits can be fed from who he is and whatever may happen it is the grace of God that may see us through so 
Look, I want to remind you just in finishing, just to do whatever you need to do on a daily basis to stay in the grace of God. Remind yourself that he loves you, that he's forgiven you of your sins. If you fall, come back to him, repent. Just, just get on your knees before him again and he will transform you once again. He will remind you of his grace. He will pick you up. He will take you back to the throne of grace, back to the cross. And he wants to fill you with his love and knowledge of his love so that you overflow with it. And he wants to use you to bless others. And so I just finish by saying, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.